Welcome to Season 6 of Business Book Talk. Every week, we have a business book author talk about their book and discover why they wrote it. The conversations are casual in tone, but we try and dig a bit deeper into the subject of the book and discover the author's background and their core ideas. I'm sure you'll like this week's book, so let's get started. Hey, everybody, it's Bob again, and I've got seven disciplines of a leader. I've got Jeff Wolf with me today. Jeff, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks, Bob. It's a pleasure to be here. Hey, so uh, before we get going, I wanted you to just read the, the, the subheader for this one, too. It's like how to help your people, team, and organization achieve. And really, that's what the book's about. It, it, it's about trying to get the maximum of effectiveness of yourself as a leader. So this book is for leaders. But I want to ask Jess, let's make the first question a toughie. Um, if you're not a leader, do you think you'd get benefit by reading this book? Because then you could kind of understand what a leader is going through and maybe respect him a little bit more. Yes, definitely. Uh, the book was written with the premise, whether you're a CEO, a president, whether you're a mid-level supervisor, or whether you're an aspiring leader, to really provide the necessary information to help you get to where you want to go from your leadership perspective. Now, there's a ton of books out there that, that kind of cover this topic, maybe not in this much detail in this, this angle. But for, for you personally, why did you think this was a good time for this book to be coming out? Well, I, I think for a couple reasons. Uh, number one, we've been in this recession for the last five or six years. We're coming out of it. Hopefully, we'll stay out of it. And what the focus has been for every leader out there and every company was survival. And there's been little emphasis put on growing leaders and growing leadership. And I really felt that, you know, uh, we needed a book out there to really help people get to their leadership possibilities and to improve their leadership. Because after all, leadership is, is all about what business is in terms of growth, in terms of having a vision, in terms of leading people. And a lot of people are just put into positions because they have good technical skills. So they don't have that leadership ability. So this book will really provide them with the tools that they can put in their toolkit to become a more effective leader. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting because there are so many people out there, and I'm not even going to classify them as leaders, even though that's what they are. You know, they start a company, the company grows, and they kind of uh, evolve into this position where they're the leader of a company, um, or they're really, really good at doing something, and they just go up through the ranks, and eventually they're on top or, or pretty darn near the top, and they're in a leadership position, and they have no idea of how to actually get their head around it and they just kind of fumble along. I mean, it, it's a very, very, it, it's a tough thing to do, lead, number one. I mean, it's not easy and I cannot believe some people saying, ah, he doesn't do anything, he just sits in that office all day, he's on the phone, I, I don't know what value he's bringing to the company. But do you think there is a huge problem with people that move up in an organization not educating or re-educating themselves into a leadership mentality when they're getting close to a leadership position or are actually in a leadership position? Well, definitely. Uh, you always have to grow. I mean, in business today, whether you're a leader or anybody else, the business has to grow, you have to grow, and you have to always continually change. 
And one of the things about leadership that I'm finding is a lot of leaders don't change. They keep doing the same thing over and over again that they did 10, 15 years ago. Uh, and it's not working in today's global society, whether you're small business or big business. You have to really change. And the people are different. And one of the things that we have to understand is you kind of talk about situational leadership. Every situation calls for something different. And a leader has to be able to do, you know, whatever is best in those terms of, the, of, of a situation to become effective and to really lead people and grow people. We're banding around this word leader. So maybe what we should do is back it up a little tiny bit. Let's define the word leader. I think a leader is somebody that someone wants to follow. I think a leader is someone who's inspirational, motivational, and a leader is somebody that looks into the future uh, and is not concerned about today as much as they're concerned about where are we going to be in the next year, two years, three years, four years down the road, and, and be a visionary. I also think a leader needs to be honest and forthright. People will follow people who are honest. And I think those are some of the things that, uh, that really astound, astound for a leader. You know, uh, one of the other things a leader has to be is they have to be a kick-ass salesperson because they've got a, they may have a vision. They still got to basically talk people into going in that direction because the thing with a vision, it, there's nothing around it supporting it. Really, you can say, well, the economy's growing, so we should be doing it this way. And you've really got to talk people into believing in something that is not there yet. You do. You have to paint a visual picture. And when you paint that picture, it has to resonate with people. And it's not all about your vision. It's what's best for the company and what's best for the people. And people want to know, you know, how are we going to get there? What are those tools we need to get there? And also, what's in it for me? And if you can answer those questions, particularly the what's in it for me, then you're going to have an engaged workforce. And one of the problems we have today is that 70% of all employees are disengaged. So how do we get them engaged? Being an effective leader. How to become an effective leader? One way is to have a vision and a vision that's going to drive people and get them excited and motivated about things to come. Very interesting note there, disengaged employees. And, and when you say employees, is that like disengaged on the whole structure of the organization or kind of disengaged at the C-suite level or upper management? Disengaged, you know, throughout the organization. So that's a huge problem. I mean, you can have a big vision, oh, we're going to do this. But if people are disengaged or maybe disheartened about their position and, and uh, lot in life, uh, how do you motivate that type of thing. And number one, that's a huge paradigm shift for an organization. But let's put that aside because that's something we can talk about later. But getting people to be motivated and believe in the company and be excited about coming to work, do you think that is part of the job of the leader of an organization or more of an HR position? I think that's pro one of the primary reasons that you're a leader is motivating and inspiring people. You know, we wouldn't be in this situation if we had good leaders out there. Good leaders will motivate and engage people. And the one thing that, that a leader has to understand, it's not about strategy. It's not about the execution. It's about people. And when you realize it's about people, then you become that effective leader. You know, there's a great line that I have in the book to, uh, from Walt Disney that said, you can dream, create, and design the most wonderful place in the world, but it takes people to make the dream a reality. And in order for you to execute, your strategy. You need engaged people who are inspired and motivated and want to come to work every day. 
the number one reason people leave companies is not because of the company, it's because of the boss. So to be an effective leader, you have to do the things that I just mentioned that will keep your people engaged. Now, I'm going to use a, a, a phrase that we all know and you will know, you might even roll your eyes, is, is um, getting, getting the right people on the bus and then getting that, uh, those people that are on the bus in the right seat, I think, is uh, the next stage. Um, but as a leader, you know, how, do you, how do you decide what a company is because, and, and, and on a personality level? Because as a leader, as the visionary for the company, you're going to say, well, I want uh, this organization over the next five years needs to be a leader. It needs to be cutting edge or it needs to be the most cost effective or whatever your vision is for the organization. Within that organization, especially if you're a new leader, there are going to be a lot of people that don't think that way. So do you have to kind of restructure a whole organization to move it forward? Or, or, you know, that is an incredibly difficult thing to do. And as a leader, how do, how do you really do that? I mean, you can have a great vision, but if you don't have the people understanding your vision or they want to stay with the old system, um, do you just got to get rid of them? No, you don't get rid of them. It's a matter of education. It's a matter of finding out what motivates them. What are the needs? One of the things I talk about with every executive or every leader that I that I work with from a coaching perspective is how often do you meet one-on-one -on -one with your key people? Do you spend the time growing them, nurturing them? Because one of the jobs of a leader is to nurture the growth and development of other leaders in the organization. So what do you do? How do you do it? Do you ask them open-ended questions to find out what they're thinking? You know, do you ask the who, what, when, where, why, how questions uh, to get them to respond to things so that you can really get into the nitty gritty of what makes the organization work? You know, you talk about getting the right people on the bus in the right seat. I'm a firm believer that when you interview people, one of the things you need to look for is are they motivated? Do they have heart, so to speak? You can have all the technical skills in the world, but is there a technical person out there that has the skill set of being motivated, excited, and having the passion? And when you're between two choices of individuals, pick the one that has the passion because you can always teach skills, but you can't always teach passion or heart. Oh, gosh, yeah. And if they've got passion and heart, they're going to learn at an incredible rate. Exactly. And not only that, Bob, but they're going to grow the people around them and get other people around them excited. What you just said there, you know, is about going and, and, and you know, talking to, to the people that are directly under you. And if you have um, the, the time and, and the luxury, you know, drilling right down to the people that are on, on the, the forefront, the people that are actually uh, talking with clients or talking to the businesses for your business. Chatting with those guys and getting insight about where the problem is, where the frustration is. Um, that's very time consuming. Uh, and, and as a leader, you're constantly... Uh, you you have no time. Let's face it. I mean, you, you have your executive assistant and they're saying, hey, in 10 minutes, you got to be here. And then in half an hour, you got to be there and you're running around all over the place. How does a leader generate the time to be able to relax enough to actually think these things through? Because if you're constantly in the meetings, you're never going to get that done. You know, it's interesting. I just uh, had a conversation with somebody that I was coaching yesterday about that. And one of the biggest problems we have from a leadership perspective, and which you alluded to, is time management. 
And one of the things I work on is that ability to manage your time more effectively. For example, in, in small businesses, uh, a lot of leaders want to do everything their, themselves. Well, you can't do everything yourself. And they feel, well, if I, if I don't do it, it's not going to get done. Well, what happens is you're not growing other people and you're putting more and more of a burden on you, whether you're big business or small business. So one of the things I tell people is, you know, everybody has a to-do list when they come in every day. And look at that to-do list and say to yourself, what are those things on there that I personally don't have to do, that I can empower, and that's the key word, empower other people to do, give them decision-making responsibility and know that it will get done. And if you can do that, you're going to do a number of things. One, you're going to free up a lot more time for yourself. And two, you're going to grow other people in the organization. They're going to get excited because you've given them decision-making responsibility. And then they're going to stay with the organization. They're going to motivate themselves and motivate others around them. And then also spend the time with your directs. When you spend the time with five, six, seven directs, and you really nurture their growth, it trickles down to the rest of the organization and they start doing it one level below and one level below. Delegate and empower. I thought that was very interesting because if you take your responsibility that, that you know, you've been charged with, oh, I have to do X and I really don't need to do this, so I'm just going to get Bill to do it. You go to Bill, hey, Bill, uh, I need you to do this. Go and do it. Do it whatever way you uh, can do it, and, but I need it done by Wednesday. Um how do you monitor that? Because I feel a lot of times you get the leaders that they'll dump something something on somebody and then do no follow-up. They don't manage the expectations. Um, do you think that's a, a failing a leader or is that micromanaging? I think it's a combination of, of both. And what I suggest to people and I found that works with a lot of the leaders that I've worked with is when something needs to get done, you sit down with that individual and collectively together you come up with the due date. And that way it's not mandated by the leader, but together you've come up with, with the plan and together you've come up with the date and now that person owns it. And once you own it, you're gonna work really hard to get things done. And secondly, what happens is, you know, you have to have specific time points in there and you have to stop and say, okay, let's say it's gonna be done by the end of the month. Maybe let's meet a week from now and check the progress on things. So you're checking the progress, you're empowering to get things done, and together you've come up with a due date. So it's not mandated by the leader because the person might walk out of the room and say, you know what, there's no way in the world I can do this. But you want that person walking out of the room saying, yep, I'm going to get it done. I know it because uh, I've set the time frame here and we'll move forward on it. Yeah, you know, you just brought out a, a brilliant point that, you know, if you're in a meeting and especially if you're a relatively charismatic uh, leader, everybody's going, yeah, yeah, awesome, let's do it. Uh, a lot of times when uh, I'm having meetings like that and, and everybody's excited at the table, uh, we'll do the whole meeting and then I will actually contact those people a, a couple minutes later and say, hey, you know, uh, you sure you're comfortable with next Wednesday at 7? Think about it. Get back to me in, in an hour. And I would say nine times out of ten, people say, you know, I have looked at my calendar. And can we move it up a couple of days? I say, absolutely. Just give some – because when you're in the moment, it's so easy to say yes too often. And then you come back to your desk and you realize, oops, why did I say that? And now I can't go back on it. I've really kind of screwed myself. 
You know, that's interesting what you said about saying yes. And and I one of the things that I talk when I go out and I speak in workshops and keynote speeches about we have to learn how to say no. There's so much going on in business today and nobody wants to say no. Nobody wants to look bad. Nobody wants to disappoint either their fellow members of the team or their boss. So we always say yes. And you know what? That gets us into problems, like you said. We have to learn how to say no. We have to say, you know what? If I take this on, here's what I'm not going to be able to do. What's more important? And to really think it through before you say yes. So learning to say no is not negative. It's just going to make you more of an effective worker, an effective leader, an effective contributor to your team or your organization. Well, that also requires you to really... Um, be on top of your game, really have your, your calendar locked down, understand what's going on. And, and do you think executives are able to do that uh, in a meeting situation? Or, or can you say, you know, that sounds like something I can do, but I'll have to get back to you. Is, would that be feasible? Or do you kind of have to move the meeting forward and get people to make some decisions? I think it, I think it works both ways. And I think that, uh, you know, you can do it both ways that, you know, from what you said. Let's talk a little bit about the book because I'm sure people are chomping at the bit right now. Seven Disciplines. Let's talk, before we get into the seven disciplines, actually, let's talk about like how to approach this book. Is it a type of book that you should read cover to cover or just read the introduction and then just jump to the section that's going to work for you? Should you read the whole book and then go back and start uh, marking areas you think you should get more in-depth? That's a very good question. And uh, the way that the book was written, I really wanted to write something that a person can read from front to back, but then also to be able to put on their desk and say, you know what, I'm hiring some people. Let's go to the section on people. Or, you know what, I'm having some problem motivating people. Let's look that up. So not only is it going to be a book that can be read from front to back, but it's also a book that you can come back to over and over and over again to help you on your leadership journey. It's kind of broken up into into different sections, but also each chapter has a takeaway section, and and I love that. And and you know when I first started going through the book, I I ended up going to like, oh, what's the takeaway for chapter four? Oh, what's the takeaway for chapter nine? Um, that really got me into the book, and uh, then coming back to the beginning, it kind of gave me an idea of the tone of the book. Would you recommend doing something like that, or or is that kind of cheating and cribbing out? No, not at all. I, uh, you know, any way that that's going to make you more successful as a leader works for me. Some people, for example, I like to go to the back of the book and sometimes work my way backwards and just skim through things. But, you know, you mentioned the takeaways. And one of the things that I've always been a firm believer in, both from my speaking career, as well as workshops and as well as coaching, is you want to make a point and tell a story and get people to move and do something. And that's why I thought it was important to take the concept in each one of the chapters, give them a takeaway, and then give them an action item that they need to do. And a lot of people have said, you know what, this is just like having my own coach here. Well, yeah, it's definitely a workbook style, even though, I mean, it's, it's multiple styles of book in one. You know, you've got these great anecdotes, you've got some amazing stories, you've got the core knowledge base that's in there, uh, then you've got the study. It's almost like it's written for all the different personality types that are out there in the world. It is. Um, some people learn best by doing. Some per people learn best by just reading. And I wanted to have that situation that whatever type of way that you learn, you can pick up different things from the book, 
whether it be just, you know, the takeaways, whether it be the stories, whether it be the action items at the end of each thing. I wanted to provide something that will, you know, really relate to everybody. Now, here we go. The seven disciplines. Which one do you think is needed most for most organizations? Wow, that's a tough question to answer. Uh, obviously, my first answer is every one of them, because all of them have put, been put together through the last 14 or 15 years of coaching, what I found to be the most successful with all the business people that I've worked with. But if I were to really narrow it down, I would say right now in today's economy, discipline number seven, renewal and sustainability. And really looking at it from the standpoint of nothing's permanent and everything changes. And as a leader, you have to change. There's a, there's a mantra in business today, as you and I both know, either change or die. And as a leader, you have to drive change, you have to drive innovation, and you also have to renew yourself. You have to sharpen you know, your skill set, your tool set. You have to improve, you have to innovate, you have to refine, and you have to renew on a regular basis. Otherwise, you're stagnant and you don't want to be in that, in that phase. Uh, renewal and sustainability, very interesting words. You know, renewal means basically relooking at something, um, putting more vigor into it. But sustainability, big, big word right now, and maybe a little overused by companies. When you say sustainability, is that sustainability in the existing economy? Is it sustainability on a 10-year growth plan or a five-year growth plan? Or is it sustainability as in the workforce uh, being able to uh, sustain the growth or the movement? I think it's more towards the workforce because if you can get your workforce and, and provide that sustainability and get them, as I said before, engaged and motivated, then everything else will fall into place. Again, it comes down to one word, and that one word is, are, is people. Uh, people drive organizations. And when you have people who are motivated and inspired and always constantly renewing, and the leader is really pushing for that renewal, for the innovation, for the improvement, uh, then people will pick up on it, they'll get excited, and they'll work to achieve the results that are needed. Well, and, and it makes uh, the leader's job a lot better because you get everybody pushing one direction, you, um, you can get some amazing momentum going on. Going back to the seven disciplines, do you feel that most people don't get them at all? I mean, in the sense that, I, and that's a horrible thing to say, but you know, you got all these leaders and owners and stuff, you've got the seven disciplines, imagining them reading this and, uh, you know, discipline one, initiative and influence, eh, I, nah, I'm not going to worry about that. Vision, strategy and alignment, oh, maybe I'll do that. Priorities, planning and execution, mm, maybe, or I'll give that to Joe down the road. Should a leader really get into all these disciplines and decide yes, I have to be responsible for all these things, or is it something that we talked about earlier? It's like, you know what? I'm going to delegate this part of my disciplines. I don't think a leader can delegate anything when it comes to these seven disciplines. I think that, you know, over the years, I've found that these seven disciplines and the 11 practices that go with it are really what have made the leaders that I've had the privilege to work with. And I've worked with hundreds and hundreds of leaders on coaching sessions. I've trained thousands and thousands of, of people through my speaking and workshops. And I always tell them, you can't be good at just one thing. You have to be good at all these things. I say, you don't have to be perfect, but you have to be good and you have to understand it. Uh, you know, one of the things I talk about in the book is social, emotional, and political intelligence, or SEP intelligence. 
And, you know, that's one of those things about calmness and empathy with other people. And it's having the self-confidence in their ability to hold themselves accountable and, and work with people. And I think you've seen a lot of this throughout the years on, you know, on radio and TV uh, about leaders who just don't have that EQ, as we call it, that emotional intelligence. And that's important. Uh, you know, a leader has to have a vision and a strategy and alignment around that. So one of the things that I talk to them about is, you know, if you, whether you're leading a team of three or you're leading a team of 300 or 3,000, what is your vision? Where do you want to go? How do you want to get there? What's their involvement? How are we going to do that? So I think all of them are important. And collectively together, they can make a very well-rounded leader. And if they want, then you talk about delegating it, then take that book. And what I've had with a lot of organizations, they've taken the book and they've used it almost as a textbook and given it to other people within the organization. I think, you know, one of the big things uh, for leaders is just being conscious that these are the disciplines. I mean, mm -hmm. it's uh, because if you're going there and you really are unaware of the disciplines that you should be aware of, I mean, things are not going to get done or you're going to get derailed. You might think like, hey, great, I'm really, really good at uh, renewal and sustainability. The company's doing great. But other stuff isn't doing that great and you're going to end up like a, a tank when you're steering a tank. One tread's going and another tread's not going quite as fast so you're veering off to the right and you're constantly wondering why is our company constantly going over there? We're doing the right thing, we're pushing in the right direction but we're ending up in the wrong position. Do you think that's because the discipline and the focus is a little off? Yeah, in, in some cases it's off and whether it's off from a leader's perspective of their vision or their strategy or whether it's because they don't have an engaged workforce. And I know I've, I've talked about that several times, but it's so critical today to have an engaged workforce and it comes from leadership. So I think that leaders have to sit back, take a look at themselves and really spend some time thinking about, am I doing everything I possibly can to grow my company? Am I doing everything I possibly can to be a strategist? In other words, when you're a leader up at the higher levels of an organization, you want to get away from the tactical work and get into the more strategic work. So am I spending the time on the strategic effort to take my company forward? And one of the problems that I've seen in a lot of companies that I've worked with is that leaders are too close to the tactical. It's the old saying, do I work on the business or in the business? Leaders should be working on the business, not in the business. And, you know, quite frankly, that's the hardest thing to do. It is. <laughs> it really is. For you, you know, you're, you've got an incredible background in, in, in coaching and, and, and helping businesses refocus and, and leaders do better. But when you were taking all this knowledge and putting it onto paper and putting the book together, what was your aha moment where, where something that you already knew was true really crystallized for you and went, wow, now I totally get that? Well, I don't know if I, if I really had one aha moment. I think I had several aha moments. And I think it was when I was when I was going back and looking at the different disciplines and trying to say to myself, do I want to add more or should I keep it at the right length right now? And I kind of looked at it and said, you know what? Less is more. And that was, that was an aha moment that just kind of made me think, well, isn't that what leadership is all about? Less is more. We don't want to get things too complicated. We want to keep things as simple, you know, keep it simple, stupid, so to speak. And that's when I decided to really look at it from a simplistic 
way, put it down in a way that anybody could understand it, anybody could read it. And it's what I said earlier about whether you're a CEO or whether you're an aspiring leader. All of a sudden, that aha moment came, I want a book that's going to be to everybody that's looking to be a leader. And that was one of the biggest aha moments I had. You know, that's that's quite a thing to be able to say about a book is that if you plan to be a leader, if you are a leader, uh, if you know a leader, uh, this is the book for you. For people that are just getting into to business or, or are still in university studying business, uh, do you think it's too early to get into this type of philosophy or do you kind of have to have the basics done, doing a couple years in a business, working in like lower management and then then reading a book like this so you don't get too frustrated? Well, I think it, it's twofold. One, I think this book will help you uh, get to where you want to go and also give you the knowledge and the expertise at where you are today. And also, if you, if you want to become a leader, I'm a firm believer in cutting your teeth. You just can't move out of the university and into a leadership role and expect all of a sudden, presto, I'm this great leader. You know, you're going to have to learn how to fail. And when you fail, you're going to have to learn from your mistakes so you don't make them again. And that's part of being an effective leader, not being afraid to fail. Um, you know, so many people out there say, well, leaders, I, I can't fail. Yes, you can. And early in my career, I had a lot of failures, uh, but it didn't stop me from really pushing forward to become a more effective leader. I think I'm much more effective now than I was 20 or 30 years ago when I had my first leadership position. But I learned from it. And you can learn on the job. You can grow. And just understand one thing. It's all about people. You know, the old do unto others. And if you can get that down and keep that in the back of your mind and you read the book and, and, and practice some of the disciplines and some of the practices I have, I think you'll be an effective leader because you can apply it, it works, and it'll help you grow. Hindsight comes into play a lot with, with more seasoned leaders where they're going into a situation, they're going, uh-oh, I know exactly what's going to happen over the next seven weeks, and are able to... Um, basically curtail the, the, the crisis that's going to happen. So it, it seems like they never make mistakes. They're just more aware that a mistake's going to come down the road and that they're able to, to cut it off before it happens. As you grow as a leader, you get gut feelings. Not only are you working your strategy and your vision and you're executing, but you have gut feelings. And your gut will tell you, uh-oh, you know, I've been here before. I know what's going to happen. How do I write the ship? What are those things that I need to do to write the ship to make sure that we're all pulling in the right direction and that the company's going to where I want it to go? And you just kind of sit back and after you know a number of years as a leader, you can understand that and it works. Um, and just take the time to do it. The problem is we're so reactive in leadership today instead of proactive. And if you take a look at, you know, where you're going and if you've been there before, what was it that made us go this way or that way? And then work through it. Do you think that's just because we've, we've come out of this very unstable time where basically it was either, you know, shrink or die, uh, getting through the recession, survival, survival. And now people are a little nervous about uh, moving forward. I think people are nervous about moving forward, but I think there's more optimism than there's ever been in the last seven or eight years. I mean, I'm working with a lot of companies right now, and they're very optimistic about the future. They're hiring people. Business has picked up. The economy seems to have picked up, even though the market is not doing so well this week. <laughs> but uh, 
they're very optimistic. And people, for the first time in years, employees are leaving work on their own and moving over to other organizations. So they're feeling comfortable that business is better as well. Because during the recession, everybody stood put, you know, stay put. They wanted to keep a job. Now, what I'm seeing is a lot of high, or excuse me, high performing individuals are making moves to leave organizations. Yeah, you can tell a, a, a vibrant economy or, or um, a vibrant industry by how many people are moving from job to job, mm -hmm. which is a great sign. I mean, it's a little frustrating if you're a leader or somebody in HR. It's like, oh, no, here we go again. Practice five, master communication. This one was a real shocker for me, uh, not in the sense that it, it was just such an obvious thing. That's why I was shocked. I was like, oh, of course, you have to be amazing at communication. But today... Communication is incredibly hard because there's so many different ways to do it uh, and people like to be communicated uh, to or at in different ways. You've got social media, you've got the telephone, you've got texting. Do you have to uh, decide that as a leader, this is the only way I'm going to communicate, let everybody know I'm a phone guy, so call me or I'm, a, I'm an email guy, so let's do it through email? As a leader, can you do that or do you kind of have to do some stuff in email and some stuff over the phone and some stuff as text? I think you have to work in all those areas. And one of the things that I really like uh, about communication today is, is there are so many ways to do it. You know, you look back 10, 15, 20 years ago, there are only a couple ways to do it. And now one of the things, and, and again, what I'm going to refer back to what I said before about meeting one-on-one -on -one with your direct reports you get to know how they like to communicate and then communicate in a way that is going to be best for them. And that's the key to a leader. It's not about what you want. It's about what they want. And as long as you're talking about communication, you know, one of the keys to being an effective leader when it comes to communication is to be an active listener. And one of the things that I always ask when I'm coaching somebody, I said, give me an example or tell me a time when you work for a really great leader, what was one of his or hers great attributes? And they invariably say they were a great listener. And being a leader is a, being a great listener. When you're a great listener, that's one of the best things you can do for people around you. Because people like to talk, but more importantly, when you listen to them, it makes them feel good. And when you listen, you want to be an active listener. You don't want to just be passive, but you need to be active. So those are some key skills. Yeah, and, and you know, when you say active, that means basically repeating what they said back to them to make sure that you're comprehended what they said the right way and in the right light. You know, it's, it's being in the moment. You know, it's, it's giving that person your full attention. You know, it's, and one of the problems we all have is we try to respond before the person finishes. And we're already thinking about what we're going to say. But it's really being in the moment. And then it's lubricating that conversation. Kind of like, uh-huh. Oh, I understand. Okay. Uh, and it, it's not interrupting. And it's also what you said. It's paraphrasing on a key point to make sure that you're both in sync with what you're talking about. Well, Bob, as I understand it, what, you, what I've heard you say is, and then repeat what you say. And then, Bob, you'd say to me, no, that's not what I meant, Jeff. Or, yeah, that's exactly what I meant. So that's what being an active listener really is. How about people that have a hard time communicating? And, and uh, you know, I've got teenage kids. And, and after a while, it's just like, geez, you know, 
is there a point trying to communicate with these people? But as a leader and in an organization, you don't have that option. Are there any um, tips you could give to our listening audience uh, for, for people that are struggling with communication? Spend as much one-on-one time with your people as possible. Find out what makes them tick. Find out what motivates them. Find out a little bit about them personally. And then you can ask, you know, hey, I understand your son or daughter's involved with soccer. How are they doing? That gets them to open up a little bit. And now the communication, some of the barriers are broken down. It's not all about business. People want to know you're concerned about their personal lives as well. So throwing some of those things in there as a leader will help break down the barriers, as I said, and make the communication effort stronger and better. Okay, you're going to love this one. At what stage in your career should you get a coach? Well, being a coach. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you were going to love it, yep. <laughs> yeah, just after high school. <laughs> being an executive coach, it used to be uh, we would work on broken wing theory, that people weren't doing uh, things right or well. And now it's really grown into a, 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 an industry where people are being successful, but they want to be even more successful. So how do I get my game from point A to point B? And that's where I go in most of the time as I work with those individuals who are doing well now, but are just missing a few little things that, you know, rough edges, as we say, that need to be smoothed out to take their game to another level. And the beauty of having a coach is that ability to have a third party impartial observer that you can really talk to confidentially that normally you don't have in the business setting today. So they can really get involved in a lot of different issues to take the game to a higher level. Now, also, I I also come in and work with people who are failing in some particular areas that have so much knowledge about the business, but their leadership skills, particularly around soft skills, are not that great. So I'm brought in to do that and work with them as well. So I think that any level where you want to improve your game, an executive coach or a leadership coach will help you and get you there a lot faster than you can do it on your own. Should you always hire a coach instead of going to a friend? A friend oftentimes has an agenda. A coach doesn't have an agenda with the exception of one thing, to make you better. Mm. And uh, it, when it comes to business, I think a coach is much better than a friend because a coach is that impartial observer. And you've also got to believe in them, right? I mean, with a friend, you say, eh, maybe he's a little biased, so I'm not going to do that advice. I mean, what's the point of asking advice if you're not going to actually take it? Right. And a coach holds you accountable. You know, it's just not giving advice. It's, it's really having that individual, the coachee, uh, together with the coach, work to a solution and then, hold, and then hold them accountable. And there's that accountability factor that a coach has that a lot of other people don't. Do you think that great leaders are kind of uh, coaches themselves? Oh, yes, yes. That's part of the, you know, the growth and development that you're seeking. Uh, I'm a firm believer that uh, great leaders are great coaches. Mm. And you really have to work with each individual to find out what their strengths are, what their weaknesses are, and then really work to enhance the strengths and to take those weaknesses or those challenges and turn those into, into strengths as well. For the people listening to the show, what is one thing that they can do today, um, other than buying your book and reading it, of course, uh, to become a more, you know, disciplined and focused leader? I think the most important thing 
in any leadership position or with any leader is what I call ABL, always be learning. Always go out there and learn as much as you can about the field that you're in. Always learn as much as you can about what are those things that make you, you know, others a great leader and see if they can apply to you. And to really learn, because it goes back to the whole thing about renewal and sustainability, this business climate is always changing. We always have to be learning to keep up with what's happening in the world today. This book is chock full of wonderful stories. Was there one story that really resonated with you or, or is kind of your favorite? There is one story that's one of my favorites. And uh, it's a little bit long, but uh, to put it in perspective, it's about communication. And one of the things that... Uh, uh, we as leaders always think we're communicating very well and uh, everybody understands what we're saying, but it doesn't always work that way. And I remember standing in front, up in front of an audience of several thousand people doing a keynote speech and I thought I was doing a great job of communicating. And whenever I'm giving a speech, I always look out in the audience and draw energy from the audience that's out there. And I really focus on a couple people. And I happened to focus on this one young woman that was sitting in the third or fourth row. And every time I'd make a, a, a point, she would nod her head and she would smile. And this went on during the entire speech and the presentation on leadership. And when I got through, I was walking on air. I was thinking, wow, this is really great. I've really communicated. I got my ideas through to her. And I hopefully the rest of the audience will go and take that information back to their workplace and they will become better leaders and help grow their leaders. And then afterwards, I was standing with a couple of the people who had hired me before our lunch. We were talking and out of the corner of my eye, I noticed that young woman sitting all by herself. And I said, I'm going to go over there and thank her. And I walked over there and I, I stuck out my hand and I said, hi, I'm Jeff Wolf, And I just want to thank you for really giving me energy and being so attentive. And I hope you can use a lot of the information that, uh, that I, I gave there to your group. And she looked up at me and she said, no, speak English. <laughs> and that's when it really resonated with me that, uh, you know, uh, you have to make sure that you are communicating. You can't take it for granted. And about a, a minute later, somebody came over to me and said, oh, Jeff, I'm glad you met my niece. She just flew in from, uh, from overseas and uh, she doesn't speak any English. And I just wanted to bring her here so I didn't have to go home and pick her up to go to a family gathering afterwards. Ouch and double ouch. Yeah. So that's one of the things I talk about when, it, when you get into communication is that you always have to make sure that you are getting your message across. You can't assume. And you know what you know, the assume is. You, you just can't do it. Well, yeah. And, and uh, the thing, reading an audience is tough. Really, really tough. And, and any audience, any size audience. I mean, if you're in there talking with, with uh, the C-suite and you're blabbing on and you think you're doing great and you're not realizing that people aren't getting it, there has to be some uh, techniques involved to make sure or, or um, understand that you're not getting through. So what do you do when you're, you're trying to communicate to, to a, a medium to, to large-ish group, but not a massive group, mm -hmm. uh, to, to really gauge what's going on? Well, first of all, you have to understand, you know, your audience, uh, whether it be a group of CEOs, whether it be a group of employees, whatever it is. Understand what you want to, get, what you want to accomplish and then you have to be cognizant of the fact, and this goes back to emotional intelligence as a leader, you have to really look at people and understand what they want, but most importantly, are they understanding you? Are they getting what you're saying? 
And if they're not, you have to tone it down or tone it up or change it in a way that they're going to understand it and, and communicate it in a way that the average person in that meeting will understand it. I mean, I've, been, I've worked with CEOs and they talk to Wall Street when they do their quarterly report one way. They talk to their executive team in another language, so to speak. When they go down and they do town hall meetings or lunch and learn meetings, they speak differently. Well, take it from the CEOs because they know how to speak to each group differently. And they're aware from their emotional intelligence to understand whether people are getting them or not. So... That's one of the things about leadership that we all have to look at is we have to go into a meeting. We have to look at it from the perspective of what do I want to do? What do I want to accomplish? And are the people really understanding my message? We've been chatting with Jeff Wolf, Seven Disciplines of a Leader, How to Help Your People, Team, and Organization Achieve Maximum Effectiveness. Jeff, it was awesome having you on the show. Bob, it was a pleasure to be here. Thanks for listening to the show. And don't forget to subscribe and rate us on iTunes. Like us at Facebook forward slash business book talk. Follow the host on Twitter at Bob Garlic. Visit the website businessbooktalk.com for show notes and lots of other great interviews. See you next week.